You know what it is. This is Joe. And Cheryl. And I'm Ray. And this is No True Bill. All right, all right. Yes, sir. Today we got Darley Routier, part two. Without further ado, take it away, Cheryl. But first, a little disclaimer. We are prefacing a lot of the appeal of this podcast on the fact that we're prosecutors. However, we need you to understand we are not doing this podcast in our professional capacity as prosecutors. We're doing this as people, after hours, on our own time, with our own equipment. Now, we know a lot about the law by virtue of what we do, uh, but we're also just interested in true crime. So our opinions and commentary in this podcast are not the opinions of our office or our employer. They are not our professional opinions, and nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal advice or anything other than three friends blowing off some steam together. So with that in mind, don't try this at home. All right, Cheryl, let's talk about this weirdness. Okay, so... Or at least part one of the weirdness, yeah, right? part yeah. one of the weirdness. A, a lot of Darren's uh, weirdness comes out uh, in the things I read after trial. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but it's clear in all accounts, the things, uh, some of the things that Darren likes most about Darlie are her looks. Mm -hmm. um, he Indeed. He is obsessed two, two with scenes. her cute little figure <laughs> and her tig old bitties. Oh. Um, he bought them tig old bitties, didn't he? He did. Oh, okay. But, but honestly, they uh, they even go as far during the trial because they feel like the personal attacks on her character for uh, her appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, were that such a, that it caused them to really defend the fact that she got these breast implants. Um, after, That's, yeah. Dude, Texas, so, bro. They're like, we know she killed her kids because- she got titties. Titties. Yep. Am I right? Yep. You damn right. So they go what? in defense of why she got these- uh, Jumblies. Breast implants. <laughs> um, and it was for basically- medical reasons either she could have <laughs> wait she could have a procedure such that she would no longer have certain feeling or she could get implants to correct the issue and she would not lose feeling in what and it, she had that, to get that implants to save her titties that was the story to save so, the feeling yes Damn. yes i've so, never heard of that usually i thought it was the other way around that sounds made up so that's what they said but <laughs> Guarantee is she bought the biggest pair. Oh yeah, that would still look sort of right with her body. Bro, you know if you going to do it, do it big. Do it, right, do it yeah. big. Go big or go it's, home. It's Texas. I'm saying. Yeah, it is Texas. Yeah. You think she's gonna get small tit? No, yeah. I'd have gotten the big ones. Yeah, and, and, uh, what's show enough with a show enough. Anna, Anna Nicole Rudier or whatever you said her name is. <laughs> Rudy Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Yeah. Okay, so Darren, by all accounts, is obsessed with Darley's body. <clears throat> Um, after she has the kids. So that means he, he, he not an ass man. He probably is. Probably. I ain't seen what the booty look like. Probably. I don't know. <laughs> but after, after the, kids, the kids are she, born. She fell off a little she, bit. Well, no, not even a little bit. She's still a cute little thing. But there was talk that Darren was uh, making remarks about the fact that she didn't have the same figure anymore. Not cool, dude. Um, And that she put on a little weight. And being demanding of her to lose the weight. Um, there That's was also, sure. right. And there was also testimony that um, 
The kids were just really stressful for her. They only had the one vehicle since the Jaguar was in the shop and Darren would take it to go to work and leave her and the kids sort of stranded all day. Mm. Um, and she had all three kids all day pretty much by herself. Yeah, she probably did kill um, those kids. <laughs> <laughs> Come to think Raven. of it. I mean, it's fact. I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't be a stay-at-home dad. Couldn't do it. It's stressful. No I mean, way. I don't think you'd murder your No, your I wouldn't, children, but I, but I would find is, a way yes, to yes. not do this because I could not mentally handle that. Um, so there, there are a lot of factors that the state put forth that sort of motivated potentially Darley to have done mm. something like this. Okay. Um, uh, now, the reverse side of that is... Um, Surely the most attention getting child of hers was Drake and the mm -hmm. baby is fine. Yeah. Upstairs with Darren. Yeah. Um, the, the other two boys, um, being older wouldn't have, you'd think required as much attention as the infant. Right. What were their ages again? Uh, they were six and five. Okay. That's just when they're getting cool, dude. Right. Mm. Um, so the prosecution did talk about her uh, fake boobs, but they made it relevant in a couple of ways. First, as a yes, part please, of... Please tell me how. Right. Find the relevance. First, as a part of her self-image and how her current life was not fitting with her self-image. Uh, she was the fun girl who liked to do fun things with all of her free time and be flamboyant and show offish and all of these things that she could no longer do because she was in the position that she was in with the kids. The other point they made, which to me mm -hmm. is a more valid point mm -hmm. is that that's why mm -hmm. she ain't get stabbed in the chest like the kids did. Oh, she, she ain't trying to ruin. Right. Ain't trying to leak silicone. You know, the big thing where everybody's fake titties in Hollywood were leaking Pop. and they were all having to have emergency surgeries because the silicone was seeping into their bodies and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. I remember that. That would have been probably around this time. No. I mean, this might have even been before that. Yeah, one. this is before Perhaps that. they were less reliable. I don't know. I'm sure. I'm not. I don't know the history of, of uh, implant titties. integrity. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. But they were like, she, she didn't stab herself in her torso because she didn't want to disturb her breast implant. Well, and I mean, not to be sexist or anything, but don't they generally say that like as sort of a rule uh, that women often when they commit suicide, like I, I don't know if it's motivated by vanity or what, but like they're taking pills. They're, they're as, slitting their right. wrists. They're as not blowing Darren's their faces off. As Aunt Sandy said Tell in Aunt the Sandy. book that the family commissioned, pretty girls don't cut themselves. Mm. Dang. That's deep. They take pills. They do. But yeah, I mean, like dudes, right? They, they, but I mean, of, they say like they take a shotgun to the face or right, they hang right, themselves right. or whatever. <sighs> Women, not so much. And then if. But that's, I mean, that's the statistical probability, you know, but, right. but nine, nine out of 10 even isn't 10 out of 10. <clears throat> right. And it's you know. clear that when she was contemplating suicide, it was by taking pills. That's true. Hmm. Um. But those are, are ways in which the prosecution sort of uh, tried to sway people toward motive. Now, uh, Darley's case sort of rested on... So that um, these wait. big old bazooms were left on... <laughs> un, un Does she still have them in, in prison? You think? She still got I, them knockers? I really don't know. That is not a subject of my research. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well drop, the, drop the ball there. Fail. 
I would imagine wait, wait, they're still in there. I what mean, happened to what happened to what happened to Weird Thirty? I thought we were talking about Weird Darren. How oh, we yeah. get talking about titties? His, his oh, because his obsession with, with the titties. Ah, okay. um, <laughs> which which I'll See talk how about. We're distracted. Which I'll talk about again later. Oh, okay. okay. So titty obsession. Um, he said, "Girl, you need to get back in the gym. Put on some post baby LBs. Get it together. Get mm-hmm. it right. Get it tight." And she's distraught. So they're they're struggling with money. She's struggling with postpartum depression. He's making her feel some kind of way about the way she looks. It's cheeseburgers and squat diet. Yeah, no, nah, nah, he ain't on, he ain't on Ray Ray's workout plan. Hearing about that life. Two C's. <laughs> so, Darlie's case, uh, from her perspective, really rested on the seriousness of her injuries. Um, Although the doctors classified them medically as superficial, the slash to her throat was millimeters away from slicing her carotid artery and her uh, suffering a significant injury or death. Um, They went through the fact that no one reacts the same way to trauma so that her Mm -hmm. behaviors uh, during the 911 call or after the deaths of the boys or even at the graveside are explainable just by the way uh, the belief she held in the way that she was reacting to the trauma. Um, they tried to discount the medical staff's testimony. Um, some of their uh, notes also didn't match their testimony in that they were asked whether or not uh, Darley was upset, showing emotion to them. And some of them answered no when their notes clearly indicated that they would uh, talk to her and she would be tearful. Hmm. Um, and they never really... They never really cross-examined them enough so that they explained the discrepancy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there was a discrepancy in a couple of the nurses indicating during their testimony that they didn't see her upset while their notes at times said that she was tearful. Well, that that leads to some of that bias maybe that we were talking about. about Right. That was the defense's argument about that. uh, Query. Yes. You have, uh, you've read a lot of, obviously, very well researched in this case. If she had nicked the old, uh, what do we call it, jugular? Jugular, that's as, <laughs> as a certain local detective near and dear to our heart referred to it once. <clears throat> if, she, if she messes around and nicks the old jugular mm-hmm. and just bleeds out on the kitchen floor, <clears throat> you think they pin this on her posthumously? Or you think they, they go... Some- Darren. I think they go Darren. Darren. You think they go for Darren? I think Darren. they go Darren if she dies. <sighs> you, don't think, you don't think they just go murder-suicide? I don't know. That's why I'm. I mean, I mean, maybe. Ooh. But I mean, where's that some, knife? Let where's me get to knife? some other things. Let me you get know. to some other things. Yeah, tell so. me about Billy Ray. Okay. And, and what else? Um, Darlie's case also rested <clears throat> on there being no motive for her to do something like this. So good defense. Uh, she, from the testimony of her family during the trial, was a doting mother uh, who took care of the boys. It's hard to think about a, a parent. Specifically, a mother. Let's be honest. Doing right, this, right. But we know what happens. Obviously. Yeah. Um. They explained her. Um. And I'll get into some of her later statements as well. She did give some other statements that were somewhat conflicting with her original statement that she gave on nine one one into officers on the scene that night. Mm-hmm. Um. They attributed that to traumatic amnesia. Uh, she had an ex. Jury's going to love that testify. traumatic amnesia. Right. The problem was whenever there was an inconsistency in her statement that she was asked to explain, she was able to do that. She only had amnesia with regard to other things. Oh. Uh, so some things she could explain and some things she couldn't. And the prosecutor pointed that out. 
how can you have traumatic amnesia but still be able to answer some of these questions about what you saw and heard and experienced that night? Right. So um, con convenient selective, selective, selective traumatic amnesia. Yes. And that was actually the prosecutor said said that this is not traumatic amnesia. This is selective amnesia. Oh, right. Um, and apparently, let me, from, let me try this case. I got you, bro. <laughs> apparently, there had been a black car that some neighbors had reported seeing around the neighborhood. Uh, some reported the car going slow. Some reported the car going too fast. There was a lot of conflicting testimony with regard to this alleged black car. Black car. Um, there were also reported to be these two guys. Darley had uh, another neighbor testify that on the night of the 6th, she had been uh, watching uh, scary movies and uh, she was home with her 15 year old daughter and she heard some sounds on her front porch. <clears throat> when she checked what the sound was, she saw two men on her front porch. Uh, when they saw her, they ran from the house. But then she said later on, she heard a tip tap tapping at the window. She looked out the window. Same two dudes were at the window. Again, when they saw them and the light came on, they ran off. Now, this uh, particular lady is the only one who reported seeing these two dudes. And neither of these two dudes from the lady's description matched the description that Darley that gave Darley of her gave. assailant. And did she pick up the phone when this happened? No, that, she did not. Yeah, uh-huh. Figures. No, she did not. <laughs> just, Likely story. Just so happens to surface as a defense witness who experienced this uh, suspicious event, but it was so suspicious that she did not call authorities as it happened. Uh, the state we don't, also we don't experience that ever. The state also presented testimony from a neighbor who got home from work at, I want to say, 1.30 in the morning the night this happened. Because um, you said call came out 2.30, right? Correct. Okay, so an hour before the call. Um, he gets home from work. Um, it was a warm day that day. He reports saying nothing unusual at all in the neighborhood. He went to bed. They went to bed with the window open in the house. Uh, he heard uh, some kind of noise uh, that... Well, apparently woke him and then not long after that heard darren yelling oh uh, and that's when the first officer was arriving and they started seeing the cop cars show up oh okay so this wasn't so like pre-murder this is post correct murder he hears darren he yelling. hears something oh, okay. something wakes him up and shortly thereafter he hears darren yelling and he goes and looks out the window and sees the officer meeting darren and them going into the house and then all the other officers started showing up mm. um but that was that was his testimony, that there was nothing going on at 1.30 when he came through. Hmm. Um, Darley was cross-examined. Darley testified in her case, um, and she didn't do herself a lot of favors. Rarely uh, does. As every time a defendant testifies, it's bad news for them. <laughs> Just every time. Well, especially um, if you've given, like you said, I mean, I, I don't know how varying they were, but if she's given varying prior statements yeah usually going on the stand and being like no 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 i promise the six this other ones were not correct this one is the truth you know that that doesn't go well ever right um but it came out during her cross-examination that she had written letters to family members uh that of course the jail had taken a little looky-loo at before mm -hmm. they went out mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um where she accused two different men of being the one who did this um, one of which was a neighbor who lived down the street who she said watched her from his balcony. But prosecutors actually went out, tracked that dude down, talked to him, went out on his balcony, couldn't even see where he would have been watching her from it. Um, so you hear that noise? 
So her contemporaneous report is, I ain't even see, yeah, right, digging around I didn't even see a face. I didn't even see who it was. I don't know anything. I just saw a dark figure running into the garage, and he might still be holed up there. Please help. Correct. But now I know who it was, and it was this guy. Yeah, and I think, like I said, there were two different guys throughout the course of the time she was in jail that she said, I know he did it. I saw him do it. So I ain't see anybody. And then it was individual A. And then it was, well, wait, no, it was individual B. I'm certain. Right. So she got cross-examined on those. And she said she was sure that those people had done it, not because she actually could identify anyone, but because of information people on the outside were giving her about (laughs) things that they had found out. Okay. It convinced her that those people were the ones who had done it. Um, And she totally lost her cool when being cross-examined, as most people do, which is why it's not a good idea for a defendant to take the Mm, stand. Because particularly in a crime of violence, yeah, yeah. (laughs) there will be something that you can be cross-examined about that will not make you happy. And if you really react too much or not enough, the jury is going to be able to use that as your demeanor and make a judgment. G U I L T Y, you guilty? Hey, hey, you guilty? Yeah, that's it. So, so. Uh, going back to the evidence, um, Darley gave a, a few different statements to a few different people. Her statements to officers sort of evolved, um, over time to kind of explain pieces of evidence that weren't explained, uh, in her original statement. It's Which that is thing what where liars generally once do. you get discovery, <laughs> your statement changes, yeah. uh, when you know what the evidence looks like. Yeah. Um, Cheryl, let them know what discovery is right quick. So discovery is the process that we go through in a criminal trial. Uh, The state has to turn over all of its evidence that it has collected and plans to use uh, to the defense so that they can be prepared to explain and or uh, combat whatever that evidence is. Um, so the state has to turn over all of its evidence. When you hear us talk about giving discovery or something is in discovery, that means it's part of the investigation that was turned over to the defense and the defendant has a right to see it before trial. Um, so her statement seemed to evolve. So if you don't know, now, you know, discovery. There you go. It is. Um, so. When I say that her statements evolved with discovery, the more evidence she saw of the state and the things that the state thought were uh, suspicious about the scene, she would change her statement to sort of meet or explain those things. Um, who, who was this woman's lawyer? Well, she had two public defenders at first up until the day of jury selection. And then she had an attorney by the name of Doug Mulder who made himself a name as a prosecutor at first, and then apparently started to defend some really high profile criminal clients as a defense attorney. All I think of is X-Files agent Mulder, <laughs> but, but so he pops up at jury selection like, uh, I assume there was like a continuance for his keep coming into the case. No. Oh, okay. No. Good. There you uh, are, Texas. There you are. Being all they, Texas-y. They did not ask for one. He says, I, Say, I'm, I'm ready to go. I, I know this case. I'm ready to try they this. They did one. not ask for one. No Just for walks in the door. Let's go. Well, he had been originally, this is another point of contention that came up in her first appeal that she filed. So the way Mulder makes his first appearance in the case is that there is an alleged violation of the court's gag order. Now, the court issued a gag order because right after Darley got picked up, 
apparently her family started going on the uh, talk show circuit like talking do. about the case and the fact that Darley was not guilty and there was an intruder and the police have wrongfully imprisoned her and they can't believe this can't believe this injustice is happening so because they start to talk about some of the facts of the case, the court issues this gag order. And apparently the gag order basically says, if you're a person who's under subpoena in this case, you cannot discuss the facts of the case and certain other things. So Darley, Mama Darley and Darren are alleged to have violated the gag order as well as a member of the sheriff's department. Uh, after, Mama Darley and Darren are accused of violating the gag order. There's a return motion filed stating that there's a member of the sheriff's department who has also violated the gag order. Um, the judge basically hears dummies. Um, the judge hears about the gag order violations, alleged gag order violations, and really finds that he's not going to do uh, shit about shit. <laughs> um, he uh issued that gag order but i ain't really mean it I, right so I he basically says that when mama darley made the statements that she made to that radio show she wasn't under subpoena so technically the gag order did not apply to her and when darren made those statements he made to whoever he made them to he didn't talk about the facts of the case um but Mulder comes in having been retained by mama darley to represent her interests in, in the gag order proceeding when they show up to do the hearing on the gag order, Mama Darley says, BT Dubs, can you also represent Darren? Interestingly enough, uh, Mulder isn't automatically cool with that and asks the public defender who's there for Darley if he would represent Darren in the gag order hearing. And public defender is like, mm, nope, can't do that. That's a conflict for me, bro. So right away, public defender sounds like he smells a little involvement. Mm -hmm. from mr darren indeed um so also though they find conflicts though okay so <laughs> a conflict <laughs> of interest a conflict of interest can arise if you have an attorney who's representing two people who have potentially competing interests um, so the public defender by saying he thought it would be a conflict for him to represent darren sort of implied that Darren and Darley's interests were not the same or mm. potentially would be different. Some finger pointing going on. Yes. That made me believe that he might suspect that during the trial, they might want to try to throw this on Darren. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Why not? Indeed. I mean, that's the play. Well, especially if you hear some of the evidence I'm going to talk about later. All this weird Darren evidence I've been waiting for. Well, no, the weird stuff comes up after the I trial. I told you. So the weirdest stuff mm. comes up after the trial. Um, but, but if you don't know, now, you know, conflicts, conflicts. <laughs> so, uh, Mulder ends up representing both, uh, Mama Darley and Darren for purposes of the gag order hearing. The judge tosses that out. And then when they show up to start jury selection, Mulder appears and says, I, oh, well, actually during the gag order hearing, the judge is like, so you taking over this defense or what? What? <laughs> uh, and he's like, that's, I've been hired by Mama Darley as a consultant to the other attorneys. I have not been hired to do her defense. So they're like, you're being paid to be a consultant to the public defenders who know how to try a criminal case. Mm. Uh, and basically his answer at that time was yes. But yeah. then there was a break and they came back on the record. Uh, and he's like, uh, we gon' we gon' we gon' we gon' talk about it. 
uh, the day of jury selection, he is the man moving forward. Hmm. Uh, Darlie does a colloquy with the court where she's like, yep, I want Mulder to represent me. Uh, they waive any conflict that may exist mm -hmm. on the record. Uh, she requests the court to excuse not only her... She had three actually appointed public defenders, two for purposes of the trial, and one guy who was an appellate expert. Um, and she requested that all three of those uh, individuals be excused, and then Mulder and his team come on to do the the defense. So, I mean, the the preparation for a capital murder trial, yes, has to be. I mean, I we don't have we don't have the death penalty in West Virginia, so we've never had to deal with this. We've all prosecuted killers, but mm -hmm. but our uh, you know, the, our, our max is life without. We don't have the death penalty here. And I know the preparation, at least on the state side, and I'm sure it's it's equal on the defense side, prepping for something like that. It's got to be even more on a death penalty case. You've got three lawyers working for you prepping this case, and then you go to start picking the jury, and you're like, nah, yeah, give uh, me this dude uh, over 11th here. 11th hour, I want this guy. Well, and by Ooh. everyone's account anyway, the speed at which this trial happened is unheard of. This crime was committed in June of 1996. She mm -hmm. was indicted later that month, and she was what, that month. Well, she was charged later that month. The indictment process is something I'm still trying to learn about in Texas because mm -hmm. I still don't understand how she was charged with both killing Damon and Devin, but was only tried on killing Damon. Um, I, I don't understand why that was. Whether it's because, well, I know that. The killing of someone under five at, in 1996 in Texas was an automatic death penalty case. So if you're convicted, note, I can get on board with that, <laughs> right? If I you're agree. if you're convicted of killing someone who's under five, it's an automatic death penalty consideration case. Okay, um, and that parameter fit this case. So I don't know if that is the reason why she was only tried. I still would have tried her for both of them. I don't know why they whether they don't have joined her or right. whether you can sever a death penalty on autom automatic death penalty consideration case right. from other charges. Like I, yeah. I've done research on that today and I've not been able to find an answer. So if you're from Texas, yeah, let us know in the criminal yeah, right. law game, hit us up because yeah. this Cheryl's been racking her beautiful brain. About tell us, this tell for us a long how it time. worked 30 years ago. I, right. <laughs> well, and that's, that's my biggest problem uh, is like in 1996, I don't know how any of it was working. Yeah. Uh, and it's clear that there have been some law changes since then. Uh, now it's anyone under 10 you kill is an automatic death penalty consideration. Cool case. That. That's the best. Um, Single digits. You die. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I don't understand the the joinder or the separation of those charges for trial mm -hmm. or I, I just i don't understand that or whether they only maybe they charged her with both initially only indicted her on death penalty one and didn't and i, I don't know but i don't know how they get around joinder and yeah. i don't know why well, it would have been severed from the other and they still had maybe and maybe that's the answer maybe they don't have the opportunity to prosecute right on devin's death now i don't know but i i would love someone to be able to explain that to me yeah which um, is i mean that's super legalese like the Mandatory joinder, permissible. Most people have no idea what we're talking about. But I mean, the idea is that if people are, you know, if, if a, a crime is interrelated enough, you don't get to try someone for piecemeal. Yeah, right. Part of that offense, child A, and then later come back and go, ah, well, we lost child A. Let's try child B now. Like usually, at least in West Virginia, you have to try them simultaneously. 
unless there's some good cause to deviate from that rule and why they didn't in Texas back in 96, we don't understand. Yeah. Which probably, probably more of an academic question. Yeah. But still, I mean, still food for thought. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's the structure of the rules and, and whatever their rules of criminal procedure are and were, were, right. right yeah. Were circa, circa a long time ago. But yeah, so, yeah, but, you're the speed, so the event saying, happened, the event happened in June of 96 and she goes to trial in January of 97 yeah they're doing they're doing jury selection in october and november of 1996 so they're impaneling a jury four months after this happens yes and also side note they're impaneling the jury months before the trial i don't i I don't i don't understand i don't understand that either i don't don't understand that either i find that strange but i also find our system kind of strange no you need to be in the middle i i the idea that like you I mean, waste the first day of trial picking a jury or just, you know, yeah, I agree with that, too. But then also, like, you know, I think I was telling you, I just finished reading that book, that James Patterson book about Bern, uh, uh, Barry Slotnick, who represented Bernie Getz and yeah. John Gotti. And they're talking about some of the I just noticed some pro- procedural differences in, in New York state. And they I, they did the same thing. Pick juries, wait forever, then actually try the case, take a month off for Christmas or whatever, and then continue the, you know, <laughs> resume the trial. Like just yeah. clearly not the way we do it, but I mean, I'm teach to each their own, I suppose. Each yeah. jurisdiction. I guess. So to sort of talk about the, um, pretrial things a little bit more, um, there was a motion pretrial made for a change of venue. Uh, mm-hmm. they wanted to move the Makes trial I'm sure from Dallas because of press. the media coverage, yeah. mm-hmm. especially well, with regard to the Silverstring incident. Well, well, well your man's was in Houston. He knew I'm all saying. about it. Where are you going to go? I'm saying. Where are you going to uh, go? And there, there have been a lot of second guessing of that decision to make that motion on the part of the defense, mm-hmm. thinking that she would have had a much better chance with a more urban jury panel than the jurisdiction in which they ended up. Which was? Which was Kerr County, Texas. Kerr County. Which, from all of my readings, and everyone says, is one of the most conservative jurisdictions in Texas. And if you can imagine Texas as conservative as it is already. Right. Kerr County being the most conservative jurisdiction in Texas. Um, that's so they, they asked for a change of venue. Correct. And they granted, and they basically went from a reasonable, you know, reasonably minded uh, panel of potential jurors to a straight up hanging county. Correct. Find the highest tree, round them up. Oh, that's correct. where they landed. And there was Dummies. a lot of there was a lot of controversy around that too, and how Kerr County was selected. Yeah, yeah. how does, was that, um, is that the judge picks that? Yeah, actually, I think it is. So um, the and it also has to do with uh, space and availability. Um, so the change. Motion for change of venue by the defense was granted. They agreed that the trial could be moved anywhere in the state. Um, Judge Toll, incidentally, was set to leave office in December of 1996. But if he moved the trial, he could stay on to hear it as a visiting judge. Hmm. I ain't out the game yet. That was uh, that was speculated to be another reason that he agreed to move the trial. But the you defense, asked for it. You the moved defense for moved it. to move the trial, so you can't blame the judge for moving the trial when that's what was requested of him. You asked for it. You got it. But Sucks. people are quick to point out that there was something in it for him too, because he was going to be able to still hear the case. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. And okay. 
Well, and discussion, according to Darley's family, as they were starting jury selection, well, as they were, I can't remember whether it was, I think it was as they were starting jury selection, it became clear to Darley's family that the judge and both public defenders hunted. In huh. Kirk, there was good hunting in Kerr County. Uh, and they talked about. So dope. They talked about because this is, you know, October, November. Mm. Um, They're anticipating doing jury selection. The two public defenders are. So before they start jury selection, the two public defenders are there. Uh, and they're talking to the judge, I guess, before Kirk proceedings County. about hunting in Kerr County. So what's so, their beef? That they well, that he that, was familiar with the, it, the the woodland terrain. Okay, no, no, no. So, that, I think no, my understanding so, would be that they're they're correct me if I'm wrong. That they're suggesting Kerr County because of the hunting is fa- is fantastic. That they can do during jury selection. That they can do during jury selection, but that also just happens to be the Hangem High capital of Texas. So at the detriment of the of the defendant, they are going to try the case at this venue for the hunting, but she gonna get hung. Well, that's well, up to, I mean, you and asked again, for it. I, this is this is. Uh, am I right on that? Is that the beef? Is that yes, what they're suggesting? The, the right. suggestion, of course, so by, by Dar- And again, let's let's talk about perspectives for a moment. <laughs> a lot of these come from the suggestion of Darley's family. Mm. Um, a lot of these allegations of bias and everybody was out to get Darley from the beginning, such that they're even talking about her public defenders being in some sort of conspiracy with the judge to go to a rural rural conservative county where Darley's going to get an even worse shot, knowing that she's going to get an even worse shot because they personally want to hunt, which is ridiculous. It sounds, I, um, I think it sounds eminently reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> um, public defenders and defense attorneys are, um, they're members of the bar. They take oaths the same as, not the same as prosecutors. Theirs are a little more lax than prosecutors. Um, but um, they're officers of the court. They're supposed to be just and forthright. They have responsibilities to their client. They're supposed to uphold. Um, considering the Silly String video and its publicity, I don't think it was unreasonable for them to think she'd have a problem getting a fair trial locally. Mm-hmm. Um but perhaps rolling the dice on where the judge might land that that trial in hindsight was a bad move. But again, that's in hindsight. You right. can't judge an attorney's actions by hindsight. And she could have ended up in Austin. Right. So I mean, you you can't judge you can't judge an attorney's performance in hindsight. Well, and I think your first assumption can't be corruption right like that that right. never really works out it's yeah. kind of going to be a process of elimination when you come to uh make an allegation like that the people whose job it is to represent my loved one is in the tank right what you got to have evidence for that mm-hmm. and i mean not public defenders usually i mean you know not to say that they're not reasonable folks i'm sure they're they're um would be public defenders who would be willing to say that certain prosecutors are reasonable folks but let's be real a lot of public defenders are there because they they see uh, a duty to represent those who can't afford a, a defense or whatever. A lot of public defenders are Kool Aid drinkers. They're they true are believers. they are yeah. true believers, no matter the evidence. So the idea that that crop of folk would be the one that would be oh yeah, let's go hang your daughter so we can hunt. That's just nonsense. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Like you said, public defenders tend to be 
more in defense of people, not for money because they're public defenders, right. uh, and more for the ideals of it. Yes. Um, so uh, to accuse someone in that crop of of public defense or defense work that uh, they are somehow in with the state is sort of ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but again, you have to understand that emotions run high in things like this. Yeah. And you got, this you got is somebody... her daughter being accused of yeah. killing her grandchildren, which I cannot... and being sentenced to death for it. Right. I I've... cannot fathom. <clears throat> any of my loved ones doing that. I know enough as a prosecutor with the experience that experiences that I've had that anyone is capable of anything. hundred percent. true. But ordinary people who don't have to see the things that we see, uh, they can't wrap their minds around that concept that even as well as you might know someone, they still have the capacity to do things. You wouldn't even fathom them to have the capacity to do. So, there's a lot of grieving involved in that process. And there's a lot of grieving that still goes on because in Darley's family's minds, there was never justice achieved for these two boys. Right. And there's been further injustice done to their family by Darley being incarcerated. Right. If you don't, if you believe she's innocent, right. Then she's wrongfully incarcerated on death row. And right. the real killer is it's still, still out there somewhere. Um, and the other thing that comes into well, play, you're going to need to find him then. <laughs> the fugitive style is the one our man. So the other thing that comes into play um, with the majority of Darley's family is this. They're sequestered during the trial because they're potential witnesses. So they're not getting to see the evidence as it's coming out in trial. Mm, that's sure. a good point. They yes. have... Explain sequestration. Tell, tell them about witness sequestration, please. Yeah, what, yes, what is sir. that? So, uh, and... They call it the rule of witnesses in Texas, apparently. Okay. Uh, I don't know that they use the word sequestration. That's what we still use they here. They just say the rule. Yeah, the, the rule of witnesses. Um, that's basically you want to make sure the witnesses are not listening to the testimony of other witnesses, nor are they allowed to supposed to be allowed to interact with each other during the trial so that they can compare notes on their testimonies to try to come up with a story or make their test change their testimony to conform to someone else's testimony. Um, that's a problem that can be, it can happen inadvertently. You could be inadvertently swayed to change your testimony because of something you hear and not even realize you're doing it. Uh, or it can be intentional. Someone is, um, intentionally trying to make their story match up with someone else's to try to get something over on someone. So when a trial starts, often the attorneys will ask that all witnesses be sequestered, which means that they're not being they're not present in the courtroom for the testimony of any other witness. Did I ever tell you about that trial I have? I know I have where the uh, the defense attorney had subpoenaed people as witnesses, but had never actually taken the time to like meet them or talk to them. And they showed up per their subpoena for day one of trial of the state's case. And they didn't apparently know what the word sequester meant uh, when, you know, it's gone over just pro forma at the beginning of the trial. All witnesses are, you know, sequestered, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I apparently did, they didn't catch that or get that. And defense counsel didn't know that these people sitting in the back of the courtroom on the defense side were witnesses that he had subpoenaed, thought that they were just family members of the defendant or something like that. And they sat through the entire trial in the back and then State rested defense case. I call witness John Doe, and my man just stands up in the back row, like, "All right, I'm ready." Yeah, sat there, watched the whole trial. How did the court handle that? Um, that uh, person testified. 
and uh, they they did that thing, and they testified, and judge let it in, wow. um, and just uh, it's like, hey, uh, do better next time. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not a problem you'd normally think you'd have. You'd think that defense counsel would talk to their witnesses, um, be able to recognize them. But yeah, well, the first jury trial I ever had was a case where multiple defense witnesses were, I mean, like seven were subpoenaed and the defense counsel hadn't spoken to a one of them. Mm. And that became abundantly clear when I got to cross-examine them. <laughs> <laughs> well, as it comes to jury sequestration, Ray, you going to give them the, you going to give them the biggie line or? Oh no, that's all, that's all you, bro. That's, that's all you. If you don't know, now you know, jury sequestration. That that's would be right. witness sequestration. God, did I say jury? <laughs> you did. Juries get, sequ- get sequestered in certain cases too, but not yeah, it means, generally around here. Yeah. I'm so disappointed in myself. Yeah. Jury sequestration is a thing. It's just not a thing we're talking about today. Yeah. Uh, witness. I'm hungry. That's what it is. Witness, witness sequestration. sequestration. Now, now, now you know. So what compounds, I think, the... We, we do this after a full day of justice administration. So <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> justice dispensation. So yeah, my man's, my man's is struggling right now. I think... What compounds the misinformation and some of the things that members of Darley's family has stated happened at trial or didn't happen at trial that actually did did not occur the way they said it occurred is because they're not there to watch it. They have one family member of Darren posted up in the courtroom who's taken some notes for him. And apparently she's meeting with them every day and telling them what happened, even though they're on the witness list. So that violates jury's sequestration as well. Absolutely can't happen. Right. But witness, you said jury. Oh, Oh, witness sequestration. Thank you very much. Which violates witness sequestration too. Um, But yeah, they're finding out about what's happening at the trial, basically by a big game of telephone, Mm. which is not the most reliable way to, to to share information. You and I have experienced that. We we tried a case, yes. and the uh, <laughs> most vocal, uh, outspoken through social media, anyone who will listen of of the defense uh, defenders, uh, believer that the defendant is not in fact guilty, is somebody who was sequestered and was not able to watch any of the trial because, uh, you know. Out in, out, out in the media stating how the the state didn't have this evidence and the evidence unfolded <laughs> in that manner. And she was sequestered the entire trial because she was a defense witness and she's not able to be in the courtroom until you guessed it. The state rested its case and the defense <laughs> wanted to put on evidence. So she ain't know what she's talking about. Mm. And it sounds like you got a lot of that going on in this case. There was a lot of that. The going blind on leading case. the blind in this But one. it's such a high profile case. It sounds like this misinformation has spread to yes. all media outlets yeah, kind of and, and yeah yes yes yeah. that's unfortunate yes, it has um so the um the the theories about conspiracies and things that weren't and weren't presented at trial um those are formulated through a very emotional lens and a not well-informed lens mm-hmm. um but I will say that the change of venue to the most conservative county probably made the prosecutor's questions about uh, the song they played at the boys' memorial service or birthday party uh, a little bit more controversial for the jurors. Do Apparently, tell. the boys' favorite song at that time was Gangsta's Paradise. <laughs> I mean, so when man's... the jury heard okay. they played Gangsta's Paradise... <laughs> At the graveside, conservative Kirk County jurors probably felt some kind of way about that. Um, 
I mean, there okay. was also what is, the, um, what is the relevance of that? <laughs> I don't know. There was also a motion pre-trial to exclude the fact that they apparently found some marijuana in the house. <gasps> These dope smoking, Coolio um, right. listening, and they agreed. Murderers. They agreed not to introduce evidence with regards to the marijuana because it wasn't relevant. Because Willie Nelson. That's Cause, why. Because it wasn't relevant. <laughs> that's However, during the questioning of one of the officers. Oh no. It was one of those situations, I think, where I'm not going to say it was not responsive to the question, but it was a question asked by defense counsel where he kept pushing. Well, did you find anything else? Did you find anything else? And I think the officer didn't know what he was talking about Mm -hmm. and finally just said, well, I found the marijuana. And then there was a big hubbubaloo about that where there was a mistrial asked for. Um, And since it was just a small mention they the judge did not grant the mistrial mm-hmm. um but advocates for darley of course point out that marijuana he, is a a drug thing in very conservative kirk county jury right. might have reacted you to smoke that weed you are in fact a murderer you they're, smoke they're weed and listen to rap music you murder children yeah. your yeah. own children no less and we all she's know got this. them fake boobs yeah. that's right god how what was the what was the uh oh man i'm gonna ask you a question you're not gonna have the answer you're gonna be so mad at me <laughs> what what was the composition of the jury? Uh, it was seven women, five men. She did, Wow. That's Cheryl. She knows what's up. Seven women. Seven women. Yes. Looking at this Which mother. Which again is who, worse for Darlie. Yes. This whore with giant fake titties murdering her kid. Yep. The memories made her do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. The silicone seeped into her brain and she killed him. Right. So Whew. now Tra- that we tragic. have discussed our uh, change of venue, I would plan next to move into uh, the findings from the evidence and yeah. what all of that revealed. This might be a good natural breaking point ah, for this episode. For this episode. Okay. I, I like it. We've got the stage set. Yeah. And now we're going to get into how it actually unfolded what the jury, I guess you're saying the, the way it was presented at trial. What do you mean the findings? Because obviously a jury well, reaches a verdict and that's that. Right, right, right. I'm not talking about findings with regard to the jury. I'm talking about, I went over with you at the beginning, what kind of evidence they noticed at the scene. The blood evidence, the fingerprints, the knives, so the broken now, glass, the vacuum cleaner, the shoes, the yeah. sock. I'm going to talk to you about all of that evidence and why it's relevant and how it was presented. The okay. analysis of that evidence mm. and what it yielded. So we mm. get into the, the the meat of the trial yes. now. Right. Scientific evidence. Mm. Gonna talk mm. about science. And some other circumstantial evidence that uh, is important, I think. Like gangsters paradise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> unlike uh, oh, gangsters paradise. Oh, unlike. Oh, that's yeah. I forgot that. Not the important un. at all. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I don't know about you, but I'm very excited for that. Yes. This has been uh, enjoyable thus far, very much. Pretty pretty long. Uh, we've been saying some words, putting in some time on the clock. May even split this part into two. Uh, so it's either episode two or episode three uh, going to be coming up. So uh, hit us up on Gmail with any questions, especially you people in Texas. You yeah. legal folks in Texas, give yeah, us some please, answers. Please, fanatics who believe she's guilty or believe she's innocent, Please don't try to put forth your beliefs that she's guilty or innocent and why. But if you got any information about the charge and why she was tried the way she was, we'd love to hear about that. Or if you have any individualized insults for either one of us. Again, I think for any of us, we put Mm -hmm. that up. We like good insults. Especially people who don't appreciate me telling them that they can't share their opinions. (laughs) 
That's right. And it's not that people can't share their opinions. It's just that I'm so tired of reading people's why opinions she's on innocent this case. or why she's guilty after yeah. all the research I've done. Because this is how it makes me feel. Yeah. yeah I don't care <laughs> how you feel. Oh, the only thing that matters in this world is how those 12 folks felt. Indeed. That's and the whether there's part. any evidence out there, newly discovered evidence that says they got it wrong. And yeah. perhaps we will talk about one of those jurors and why he says if he had to do it over again, he may have made a different decision. <gasps> Cliffhanger. Dang. Teaser. So that's it. That's it. Yeah. I've got and, to stop it. And the stop Gmail that. is no true bill podcast at gmail.com. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Keep it loose. Keep it tight. And until next time. Y'all stay out of trouble. Indeed. And all that. Yeah. They found he was corresponding with uh, like a 15, 16 year old mm. in Colorado. And no, he- You uh, coming to America? Yeah, dude. And he had this contract with this kid that basically said, when I, I am being of sound mind and blah, 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 when I turn 18, I'm going to come and surrender myself to you and you can kill me and eat me. And then they, what? The reason that they, and it, that he said- That would not be a legally enforceable contract. <laughs> she was a minor at the time it was entered into. Yeah, Angel asked me something.